Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that we've been able to to read the account of that first Christmas morning. And we pray, God, that you would take these words. Maybe these are words that we have heard for for many years. Maybe for some of us, uh, even ever since we were little kids, we remember reading the Christmas story every year. And it could just almost be like, yeah, I've heard that before. But God, we need your word in our lives. We need the work of your Holy Spirit to work deeply to to change us, God, from the very core and being of who we are. Lord, we need you to compel us to worship you and to see you in all your magnificence and all your glory. So we pray tonight, God, as we open your word, that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive that word by faith. Uh, Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's fun to watch kids open up presents on Christmas morning. And it's sort of neat to see the science of um, unwrapping gifts develop over the years. If you know what I'm talking about, if you've had little, little, little ones in your household, you know, you remember when you it's their first Christmas and you take this huge box in front of this tiny little baby and you set it there. And what do they do? They just bang on the box. You know, they think, wow, this is really cool. And so what do you do? You take and you sort of rip back the paper a little bit to sort of show them this is how you do it. And maybe they get the hang of it and so they start ripping but usually you have to help them rip it open and then you have to open the box and then you show them the gift and they're like oh they're all excited and they throw it down they play with the box and the paper so that's sort of the, the first phase of development but then eventually kids they catch on pretty quickly that uh, soon they realize that there are gifts in those boxes so that's a good thing and so what do they start doing before Christmas they start looking under the Christmas tree to sort of check out which gifts are theirs you know maybe which ones belong to their siblings and there's always at least this one big box at the back of the tree right and what do they want to do they want to climb back in there to see if that box has their name on it because you know usually big box equals big gift, right? At least at this phase in in their life. And so they think this is really a cool thing. And then finally, you sort of get to that point where you realize that actually mom and dad sometimes trick you. They take these really big boxes and they put these tiny little gifts in them. And you realize, you know, the size of the box doesn't really necessarily equate to the size of the gift. And sometimes the opposite is true as well. And I know for me, that was the case when I was about 10 or 12 years old. And there was nothing I wanted more in this world than a BB gun. You know, and I would forego all of my uh, other gifts for the rest of my life if I could just have a BB gun on that Christmas morning. And and so my parents had all the, the gifts wrapped under the tree and, and they told me that my large gift, we always got one large gift, my large gift was in a box about that big. Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand you can't fit a BB gun in a box that size. And so I was very discouraged. Matter of fact, I didn't even care if Chris of Christmas morning came and I was almost in tears when it came time for you know but my parents are like oh open it open it they're all excited and I'm thinking what? what no I don't even want to open it but anyway so I did open it and inside was a note and the note said look under the couch 
And I reached under the couch and I pulled out this big, long box and it was a BB gun. And I think they even got a picture of me going, wow, it's a BB gun. I was just so excited. You know, but that, what we learn about gift giving at Christmas time would be helpful to learn when it comes to life, especially in our understanding of who Jesus is. Because in, in the same way that we are misled by the value of a gift based on the external wrappings on the size of the box and the, the, be- the beautifulness of the wrapping paper and all that, so spiritually we are sometimes unable to get beyond the external appearance of what we think we know about Jesus. You know, we too often judge Jesus based on our external perspective because we don't take the time sometimes to get beyond the, the trappings of the Christmas story and see Jesus for the gift of who he really, really is. And therefore, we don't engage Jesus in our lives sometimes in the way that, that God has uh, created us to do so. And, and as we come uh, this evening to the song of the angels... Um, we, we come to their song that they spoke to the shepherds and, and God reveals to us the glory of Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand it is a glory that is veiled. It is a glory that, that is hidden. Now, we've already looked at a number of songs at Christmas. We looked at Mary's song and Zechariah's song and now we're going to look at the song of the angels. But none of these kids were really actual songs, like they had music and somebody played a guitar or, or piano like Mr. Casey does, things like that. They, they weren't songs in that way, but they were written sort of as like poetry. And, and since then, they, many of those have been put to music. And so I want us to look tonight at that first Christmas, and I want us to see the glory of Jesus Christ, but I want us to see this glory that is, that is hidden. And it, and it opens up in chapter 2, verse 1, with Joseph and Mary. Now, Joseph is a typical Jewish man. He's a carpenter, you know, so he's not going to get rich, but he's going to be able to provide for his family. And, and he and Mary, now, note, if you notice here in the text, Mary's not his wife. Okay, Mary is his betrothed, okay, which is more than a fiancé. You know, they, they made a commitment they're going to get married, but they have not consummated their relationship yet. And yet she's nine months pregnant. And so they, they come to, to Bethlehem, which is King David's hometown, for a census because the governor decides he wants to get more money. So he wants to count heads so he can figure out how much taxes he can charge and, and how much revenue he can raise. So there's all these people in this tiny little town and they've traveled about probably 70 or 80 miles to get from Nazareth down past Jerusalem down to this little town of Bethlehem. And this town was really not made for this kind of uh, uh, traffic. And so all the hotels filled up really fast, and there's no room for, for Joseph and Mary. And, and we don't know exactly where they stayed, but oftentimes we think it's a, uh, a stable because it says that when Mary gave birth, she put Jesus where, kids? In a manger, right? You know what a manger is? A manger, I grew up on a farm, a manger is a feeding trough, okay? It's the place where you put the food for the horses and the cows, so you're thinking, wow, it's just not like these cute little nativity sets that we have. You know, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but she had this baby. She wrapped him up in these blankets and she put him in this feeding trough. Now, as you, as you look at that, you, you think, OK, those were very difficult circumstances and, and inconvenient circumstances, but they weren't really totally out of the ordinary. 
So there's really not much in the first seven verses of, of the story of Christmas that really shows us Jesus' glory. But while these events were occurring over here in this little town of Bethlehem, out somewhere, we don't know where exactly, but it says in the same region, so in that same neck of the woods as, as this little town of Bethlehem, out in the field there were these shepherds. And, you know, I could just envision them. We don't know for certain, but we could envision them maybe being out in the field, maybe around a fire. Maybe they were asleep. Maybe they were sitting up talking. I, I don't know what. But all of a sudden, boom, there's this angel that appears to them. Now, sometimes when we hear uh, or about angels, we think of these fat little babies that have wings and sit on a cloud. And we think of that as an angel. But that's not how the Bible describes angels. They describe them as these terrifying beings that... that are you know the uh, they're powerful and whenever people in, uh, engage an angel they're terrified and and that's exactly what we see here with the shepherds and and not only do we see that the angel appeared to them but it says and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were fear and they were filled not with fear but with great fear now the glory of the Lord. You know, when we when we talk about that, you might think about the Old Testament. You remember the the tent of meeting and how whenever God went before his people, he would do so in a cloud. And and at nighttime, you couldn't see a cloud, so it'd be hard to follow a cloud at night. So God was in the form of fire in which you could see. But from time to time, that cloud would descend upon the, the temple and. And nobody could go inside because the Shekinah glory of God was in that temple. And no one would even dare to, to, to go in there. And that's what the shepherds were experiencing. They were terrified. I mean, think about Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, he had this vision of God who was in his temple. And his robe filled the temple, which shows the mightiness of his power. And what was Isaiah's response? Yo, God, what's happening, man? Was it that? Guy? No, he was terrified. You know, he just, you know, he was like, I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and he knew that he was going to die because he was terrified. And, and that's what the angels, uh, that's what the shepherds see when this angel appeared. But not only is the messenger great, but also the message that the angel brings. And the angel says in verse 10, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, what is this good news? We'll look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. Now, that term Christ there means Messiah. And now, we're, we're Gentiles, so we may not get this as much, but a Jew would appreciate the fact that the Messiah was going to come because ever since Genesis 3.15, God had promised that he was going to send the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. The anointed one. Somebody who had been set aside for a purpose. And if you're, you remember, whenever a king was put into an office, he was what? He was anointed. If a prophet was uh, put in that office, he was anointed. If a priest was made a priest, he was anointed. Today, we don't anoint people, but we ordain them, you know, much the same way. And so there was this one who was going to be anointed, be set aside for a specific purpose to deliver his people. And we read tonight that that, that person was going to be from the line of David and he was going to be a king. And that's what the angels say. For to you is born this day in the city of David, this, this, this Messiah. And so Jesus was going to be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. But, 
but he definitely was going to be a king in the line of David of old. And, and not only was he going to be a king, but it says here also that he would be a savior. He would save his people. So he was a very benevolent king who cares for his people and he protects them. But he's also known as the Lord. Now, the word Lord can mean ruler. It can also be translated into the word that's used to translate the name of God, Yahweh. And, and I think he really is talking about both those things here. He is a king who is a ruler, but he is also Yahweh himself. And then in verses 13 and 14, the angel continues to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ, where it says that, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. So now you have not just one angel that's terrifying enough with the glory of the Lord shining around him, that all of a sudden you have this host, this multitude of angels that are there as well. Now that word host can also talk about a lot or a multitude, but it also can mean an army. The host of the Lord is referring to the army of the Lord. And so the angels appeared as, as armies dressed for battle. Here again, not those cute little babies with wings on clouds, but we're talking about savage warriors that, that appeared. And what are they doing? They are praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. The, this multitude of angels in response to what the first angel said about this baby coming glorifies God, praises God, but also says that this baby will glorify God. Jesus will enable people to see God for who he truly is by his life and by his death, by his resurrection. He will show us what God looks like in his justice and his mercy and his holiness and his wisdom in a way that we've never seen before. And so the angels are glorifying God. Now, now think about this. What are the angels doing right now? What are they doing right now? They're in heaven, standing before God 24-7, praising Him and worshiping Him with the saints who have already gone to heaven. And there are even those that are standing before the throne, saints that are falling down before God. The elders are falling down and worshiping and throwing their crowns at God's feet because God is worthy to be praised and to worship for who He is and what He does. And, and what we see is, is that these angels that are typically ministering before God are now, they have moved that praise to earth what they would typically do in heaven so that so that humanity may see the angels glorifying and praising God. But but the coming of Jesus wasn't just for the glory of God, but it was for the good of humanity. Now, I don't have time to really unpack this uh, tonight, this last part. But he, he says in verse 14, glory, the angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Um, like I said, I can't really unpack all of that, but what he's really talking about is that, uh, that the Messiah has come to bring shalom. He's bring, to bring peace in every aspect of our lives. And of course, the very first place that peace needs to be accomplished is, our, is peace with God. Because we have sinned against God and we rightly ought to be judged and cast into hell. Um, you know, whenever people talk about the doctrine of election, they oftentimes say, that's not fair, Pastor Rick. That is not fair that God would save some and not save others. And I say, you're exactly right. He shouldn't save any of us. It's not fair that he does save any of us. But he has chosen to do so by his grace because we all deserve 
to go to hell. But Christ has come to make peace by the blood of his cross, as Colossians says, so that um, so that we might enjoy eternal life with God in heaven. And he, he doesn't bring this to the important people of the world, but he comes to this band of shepherds out in the hill country, people who were sort of low lives. That's what we would probably call them today or outcasts of society. I don't know what the politically correct term is, but they were not people seen as really very high on the social ladder. And, and the reason why the angels came to him is to show us that the message is for everybody. There is nobody that's beneath the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one. And as God's people, we, we, should, we should never think that. And so he brings this message to these people to show them the glory of who Jesus is. And then the angels say to the shepherds in verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And so you, you have this baby who is, uh, has come in all his glory, and yet his glory is, is hidden. Now, I think it's interesting. If you look at Jesus' ministry, Jesus was always like this, always. Here he is, the Son of God, and Jesus could speak and someone would be healed. He could cast a demon out and that demon had to obey. Jesus could say to the storms and, and nature, stop! And they would stop. They didn't have a choice because Jesus was so powerful and he came in all his glory. And yet, he was an itinerant preacher who didn't even have a home. And he actually, the, the only way his ministry went on was others supported him by their donations and stuff. That's what he was. So he was always sort of this uh, glorious one whose glory was, was hidden. Now, if Jesus is veiled in his glory, then, then how do we really know what he looks like? Well, it's just like we've seen tonight. It is by the word that God gives to us. Right? It's by the word that God gives to us. It, it says in verses 15 and 16 that when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. In other words, they went quickly. It's the same phrase that we see in, in chapter 1, verse 39, when, when uh, Mary had gotten the message from the angel and, and she said, oh, your cousin is six months pregnant. And... Mary went with haste to, to see this sign. And, uh, and the angels found Mary and Joseph just as they had said. And uh, as, as they encountered Jesus there, you know, he wasn't a baby that was glowing with a halo. You probably have seen pictures like that, which is very misleading, where Jesus like this whole, holy halo. He didn't have a sign over his head saying he's the Messiah. He just, they got to this stable and they looked in this feeding trough and there was just this baby. And he was wrapped there. And he didn't look like anything special. But it says in verse 6, 17, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. In other words, when they went away, uh, they made known what the angels had told them. The only way that we know Jesus, who Jesus is in all his glory is by what God has revealed to us. 
But I think sometimes we have perceptions of who Jesus is in our minds and we see him as sort of like a gift with just sort of plain wrapping. We see him as sort of a small God. Maybe he fits like in a small box that we've created for him and we think God's not much. But that's a very dangerous way to perceive Jesus because really we can only know who Jesus is as he has revealed himself uh, in his word. And, and uh, what, the angel, what the shepherds did, I think, is a good lesson for us as well. That as they, as they heard the word of God that was given to them by the angels, they actually acted on it. They tested it. I like what the Puritans talk about. The Puritans talk about experiential Christian living. In other words, they take the word and, and they immediately put it to the test to make sure that it's trustworthy. They want to understand it firsthand. They want to you know, say that, that God is our strength. And so they take God at his word and they actually believe what he says. And, and they test that out to see if he will be their strength. And he finds out, yes, they, that he is their strength. And so they're always examining their experience in light of the word of God. And that's exactly what the shepherds did. So when they got to the manger and they looked in the feeding trough and they saw this baby that was in this manger, they knew that what the angels had said was true. And so therefore they believed the rest of what the angels had said as well. And that's really what the Christian life is like, that... You know, as we look at the Word of God, um, how do I want to say this? As you look at the Word of God and you hear the Word of God, that, that Word should lead you to put into practice that Word by experience. But as you experience the Word of God, that's going to raise more questions that will then drive you back to His Word to see exactly what that means. It sort of reminds me, uh, a couple weekends ago, we went to Nebraska and Andrew got a new gaming system, a virtual reality gaming system, which is really cool. And uh, so he took a few minutes to sort of give us the instructions on how to use this thing. And uh, so you put it on and you're in this world and it looks very real and you sort of you know, operate by the instructions that he gave you. But as you're, as you're going through this game, you quickly realize you need more instructions because there are things that pop up and you're like, okay, now wait a minute, how do I pick this up? Or wait a minute, how do I push this button? What do I need to do? And you go, okay, you got to do this, you got to do that. And he'll explain again. You're like, okay, that's good. So you do that for a while and then you go on and then you need more. And he gives you more and he sort of walks you through the game. And it's just a great experience. But I was thinking about that and I thought that's exactly what it's like with the Word of God. That God gives us his revelation and and we put that into practice and we live that out by faith. But as we live that out by faith, we, we have new experiences with God. We get to know God in a way that maybe we didn't know him before. And, and so then we have questions, which drives us back to the word of God to say, no, wait a minute, God, why, why is this happening? Or, Lord, why isn't this happening? Lord, why are you not hearing my prayers? What, what are examples of that? And then we come across the Psalms and David, and we see what he does, and we go, oh, I see. And so then we put that into practice, and we live that out, and we do that for a while. We come to know God in a greater depth, and then it drives us back to his word. And that's what the Christian life is like. 
And so as we come this Christmas, you know, I, I want us to see that oftentimes if we just live our lives um, in a way that, that, that is casual, where maybe we're, we don't give ourselves as much attention to God's word, we may not see Jesus Christ for who he truly is. But that's one of the reasons why every Sunday God made it part of his worship that we have preaching. It's not just so I have something to do. It's not just so you have to listen to the word preached every week uh, just for the fun of it. But it's that we might constantly be taking back to his word so that as we leave this place, we can seek to, to put that into practice by the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we can know God in a way that we did not know him that Sunday that we heard the word preached. Which then will raise questions and we'll come back the next Sunday wanting to hear more. And it's, it's a glorious time and a, and a glorious thing. And so as, as we come tonight, I want, I want to encourage you, uh, wherever you are in, in your walk with the Lord, uh, to ask you is, are you living out that faith before him? Uh, do you test God's word in your life each and every day to see if it's true? You know, kids, just... Uh, Jesus is like that gift under the tree that's wrapped in plain paper and in a small box, which maybe doesn't look like anything exciting. But as you but as you come to faith in Christ and you get to know him more, you find out that even if Jesus is in a little box or it might appear little to you, he is not a little God at all. It's sort of like when I got that BB gun and I saw that little box and I thought, oh, how could this be anything great? And I opened it up and saw that note and then I found the true gift of that BB gun. What an amazing thing that that was. Uh, let's, uh, let's bow our heads if we could. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word that you have given us tonight. Uh, Lord, we know that our hearts can be so prone to miss perceive who you are uh, and yet God you are much greater and glorious than we could ever imagine and I just pray for us Lord especially this Christmas season that you would continue to reveal yourself to us in your word may may we avail ourselves of that Lord and if there be any who are here tonight that that are not doing so that that uh you know, maybe even come to church every Sunday, maybe come to Bible study, do all these things. But maybe they're like the people that the shepherds went and told. And it says that the people were astonished at the shepherd's message. But they really didn't apply that. They just heard it. They were amazed. And then they just sort of moved on. But it was Mary, Lord, who treasured these things in her heart. It was Mary, Lord, who pondered, who wrestled with these things, who processed these things, who, who thought about these things. May we be like Mary, Lord, as we hear your message, that we might know you more fully and completely. And Lord, that we might be like the shepherds, that we walk away with great joy in our hearts because of the message that comes only from you and only from knowing you. We thank you, O Lord, for these things. And pray them in your name. Amen.